So today, the question is about uh, the hindrance of sloth and torpor. Um, the the Pali word is uh, uh, tena and nidia, and that it is huh, anciently translated from more than a hundred years ago with the word sloth and torpor, but I don't even think that in those days, even from the 1880s onward, sloth and torpor were words that were used in those days. And I think that the word sloth and torpor goes back to, what, 1600s, 1500s, back into the um, really old times. Um, so, Basically, we can use uh, modern words so that people can understand it better because of modern language of merely tiredness and sleepiness because they both fit together. But they they fit together um, in almost kind of in a, in a process that we get, we can get tired and go to bed but we're still not sleepy yet. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But they go to they go together some, uh, but they're they're kind of different, but worthwhile um, working with at the same. Now, uh, there's kind of a small contradiction between what the Buddha was teaching in the time of the Buddha in the sense of wakefulness. And we'll talk about what that means and how it was applied and whatnot. But that wakefulness became part of, uh, let us say, the daily practice is to remain awake. Um, and that in modern science, they talk about uh, the desperate need of getting enough sleep, that much of the troubles that people have in <clears throat> frustrations, anxieties, and whatnot throughout the day have to do with getting themselves in the position of being tired and sleepy when it's actually time for them to perform. And one of the ways that that happens is by people, uh, ordinary people nowadays, not getting enough sleep. So, seems like a contradiction. The Buddha teaches wakefulness and uh, modern neuroscience is teaching that we need to get enough sleep. But a lot of it has to do uh, with what kind of sleep that we have. And if the quality of the sleep is high, then we don't need so much quantity of it. And if the quantity of it is high, uh, then uh, the quality of it may also suffer. It is actually possible for somebody to, let us say, be sleep deprived and then sleep. And while they're sleeping, they'll sleep for 14, 18 hours. But when they wake up out of that 14 to 18 hours, they're still droggy. They're still tired. That the tiredness set on uh, because of, of sleep deprivation, but then getting enough sleep or getting the time in for sleeping wasn't enough to bring them out of the tiredness. 
Okay, so we, we're talking about a, a quality now rather than a duration. Okay. And so when I say a quality of sleep, or du- uh, I'm not talking about duration of how, how many hours of sleep we get, but how good is it? How beneficial is it? How restorative is it? And so, um, basically, there needs to become, um, let us call it a balance that is well discovered, well looked into. And so we have to pay attention. And this is, in fact, something that's in the Satipatthana Sutta uh, that is part of the duties of the monk uh, is to know the state of mind he is in. Is the mind, in fact, drowsy? Or is it sleepy? Or is it normal? Or is it bright? Or is it exalted? These are the various ranges that we can use. Um, when the, uh, and we're looking for a bright, shiny mind. Yeah, I see that it's like, it's that... Um clarity mixed with like it's it's funny because this is the hindrance that i ignored a lot because it's usually the one that is the one that just takes away everything that we that we it takes away our brightness our investigation mm-hmm. our sukha, our pity because and you know our mindfulness okay now there's another use for the word uh that is often translated as uh as sloth and that is laziness. There we and, go. What, and what we mean by laziness is actually, um, let's say, uh, an unwillingness to do the practice. Why bother? As if it's a bother. That's the problem, <laughs> is seeing the practice as a bother. And so we say, why bother? And we don't do it. But this is the case of where all of the um, hindrances wrap around each other so that one feeds to the next. And there's many interrelationships between them. An example would be that if the mind is full of doubt, then part of that doubt is going to come up with, well, then why bother? And brings us then into... uh, uh, tenha, ten and media, or the sloth and torpor. Um, another one is the restless mind. Now, the restless mind is <clears throat> is gen- is let us say is is a common state for common people to be in. That means that. Hmm, it's almost like uh, when we come to rest, that we don't turn. That when we when we come home, we don't we, we don't actually turn the automobile engine off. We leave it idling. Yeah, idle. Yeah, that's a really good word for that. Yeah, idle. Yeah, we leave it idling, and the idling then is is like. Uh, any teenager who's going to be sitting in an idling car or any child, he's going to have his foot on the gas pedal going room, room, room. In other yeah. words, 
he's pretending to drive the car and going someplace, but in fact, he is not going anywhere. This is also the quality of the restless mind. And I bring up the issue of the automobile engine actually running is um, there is new research on uh, the default mode of the mind. And what they have found is, is that um, basically the default mode is this uh, rambling monkey mind, scatterbrained um, uh, restlessness that we all have commonly. In other words, even though you're, you think you're not doing anything, the mind is grinding on, and by doing so, getting hot and tired. Mm-hmm. And so, um, one of the things that we can practice uh, in Anapanasati is to begin to notice the gaps between the thoughts. That there will be times when, or other students, uh, some students will say that, yeah, the thoughts are still there, but now they're way, way in the background. So that they're very quiet to where the restless mind is, that that's all the mind is doing is this spinning and talking. And so it's got in the habit of that. So that every one of us is in the habit of just letting the mind run. Sort of like a pony in a huge pasture, except that the pasture doesn't really have any walls to it or fencing or anything. And it just loves to run and prance and whatnot. And in in a way, it's kind of enjoyable. But in in this regard, the, the folks that just let the mind run just uh, ramble around, don't realize the danger in it. They don't recognize that uh, that it's kind of harmful, that in fact, you could say that it goes against um, the precepts of Panatipata uh, because it's, it's kind of a thought that's harmful. And that we want to have the kinds of thoughts that are not harmful. And in this sense, the rambling mind or the running away mind actually uh, makes us tired. Mm -hmm. That, That in fact, we could have the rambling mind ramble, 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 and then it rambles into maybe it's time to sit down and meditate. And now I sit down and meditate and ramble, ramble, and now I recognize that the mind has gotten tired. Mm-hmm. which is good. So what we what we want to do is to find a way for the mind to actually rest, to relax, to become passive in a way. And uh, an, an example of that would be uh, in the sense of slowing down, that the mind is moving too fast, that we talk too fast, uh, yeah. we think too fast, the mind is just going and running and spinning, and the verbal can't possibly keep up with it. Well, it's funny because, like, again, the times I find myself tired, um, 
like us, it's like to. I remember we were talking about pain and pleasure the last talk uh, about sensuality a little bit. And um, I just realized something like two days ago, which was that it's the pers it's not literally the physical body. It's the perception of there's something better. There's something worse following them down the road that they're leading them. Uh, and then I just recognize, okay, wait, there's, that's Dukkha. Why would I want to go that way? Mm -hmm. So let me just find a new way. And then I recognize, oh, okay, like, like that passivity thing, like uh, in the uh, mindful of the body in and of itself, cold, hot, or um, liquid, gas, it, it, more like silent thinking. I don't, I really don't know a word for observational thinking. I think you've called it before. Mm -hmm. Observational. Yes. Okay. A more intuitive flavor. Right. So we want to kind of convert from a uh, verbal uh, monologue, running, 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 uh, a constant soliloquy, yeah. a constant um, running around into uh, the kind of thinking that is observing. So instead of thinking the thoughts, being the thinker and in the thought, what we're going to do instead is merely to observe what residual thinking still arises, that really the kind of thinking that we're going to have uh, is uh, talking ourselves into and the actual enjoyment of the experience of this present moment to just sit and ah oh, this is so nice and then can you sit there watching the breath coming in and coming out and those thoughts will not be so strong anymore they stop being connected because we're observing now and intending to continue to observe this present moment. That's a completely different state than what the neuroscientists are calling the default state. So there's a difference between, um, let us say, going at highway speed versus uh, having uh, the mind just idling, 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 to actually turn the engine off by coming into the present moment. And this it does take quite a long time in the sense that um, just a little bit of thinking will be there, but that primarily the constant thought is not there. In other words, what's really the number one thing that we're paying attention to? Because mostly people are just musing and thinking and uh, are doing that, or they'll get distracted by uh, entertainment, the television or the uh, web or something like that. But now we're going to have this present moment and the doorway to this present moment of the breath is now being a source of entertainment because this entertainment takes the least amount of effort to observe it. An example that they use in the suttas, actually this is out of the Basuti Maka, is that uh, 
historically, even in Thailand, they still make it. They, uh, that uh, the baby's crib is nothing but, uh, let us say, a cloth like a lungi or a, a, a sarong that is tied at both ends to make a hammock, a little mm. tiny hammock made out of a sarong. And this is where the infant is put. Now, when the baby is getting a little bit older, it can find a way to climb out of the hammock that it's sleeping in. In that regard, mom needs to be watchful. She needs to actually watch that kid because that kid's going to climb out of that uh, 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 thing until it goes to sleep. Once it goes to sleep, we only need to keep that uh, uh, hammock in the corner of the eye to make sure that it's still rocking, going back and forth and back and forth, and that's all that we're working on. Okay, so this is like the breath. Once the mind gets settled down, we just kind of keeping an eye on uh, the breath to make sure that we know that this is a long, deep in-breath and it's a long, deep out-breath, but that the thinking part of the mind uh, is has now settled down. I know that it's um, common and inviting almost to say that the mind gets concentrated. But this is not concentration because the word concentration itself has the indication of um, an effort. Like this kind of concentration is pushing things together to get it into a smaller package or something like that to where um, the example of not concentration is a mind is like this, and we're talking about coming to this state. Where it's like a samatha and vipassana together. Uh, like, I like well, how the real thing rather than the Western idea of it. Yeah, it's uh, Ajahn Sona. I love his translation, um, serene lucidity. So serene clarity of mind, like there's serene, but there's also wakefulness. It's it's a very mm-hmm. good, um, yes. Wake- the the wakefulness here now is what we're talking about of the observer, to just watch, just notice, while the mind begins to settle down, and that the way that we can do that is by giving it a smaller vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And that a great deal of vocabulary can be uh, removed in the sense of all the vocabulary that has to do with someplace else in some other time. That literally um, the hindrances um, or the, let us say, the restless mind part of the hindrances actually chases back and forth between the past and the future. It's jumping around from, let us say, from uh, palm trees to uh, spruce trees or whatever. (laughs) And it keeps jumping back from the past to the present. Settling into this present moment, then, is actually depriving the mind of an immense amount of vocabulary. So we begin to be on guard about what kind of thoughts are wholesome and unwholesome. And that this restless mind, unwholesome quality, is something to be on guard for. Because those are unwholesome thoughts. We can call them junk thoughts. 
We can yeah, call them restless thoughts. And this is what gets us tired. Yeah, it's uh, my favorite word for it is the is it's like these uh, perceptions of I can get this and it will make me happy. And I, I really don't like that. And I like this, though. So I'm going to think about it. And then you get lost in a story of, of uh -huh. situations in the like story situation. exactly yeah well you just mentioned two other hindrances then that can be brought into this package because the hindrances come as a package deal that if in fact you think of something that you like then you'll think of plans to get it yeah. and off we go off we go into the wild blue <laughs> wild <laughs> Yeah, dreaming. Really, you dream. Uh, like you'll you'll think up a, a situation, and then you'll realize, wait, that doesn't exist. That doesn't exist at all. Um, it, like, uh, it's funny because when you breathe in and out, like, like you can see, like if like the perception and the feeling are really tied up together, like they hug each other, mm -hmm. and they and they they attract each other. And it, and by feeling, I mean like sensory contact. And then you start to interpret it in like that that unwholesome way, and um, start to see it in that unwholesome way, and then it turns into what I like and I don't like, and aversion, mm -hmm. and basically. Well, <clears throat> uh, because of a uh, uh, a conversation I've had with another student who uh, brought up uh, the the sutta Maha Tangha uh, Sanha. Haya Sutta, which is number 38, and this is the um, analysis and eradication of Tanha is the name of the Sutta, and it's one of the longest in the Majjhima Nikaya, and so it looks like that it's been maybe, let us say, not played with, but two different topics brought together. One that goes in great detail, and then the other that goes into detail, and then down at the end of the sutta, they kind of tie them together. But in that second part, there was something that I found quite remarkable because I had been um, normally teaching people kind of from the position of psychology in the sense of uh, all of the bad things, the critical parent the traumas, the bad feelings, the scoldings, and all of that that bring us up into bad feelings a lot. But the Buddha is talking about it completely differently because he's talking about it that from the time of birth on through life, that what young people do is they get enamored with this and that. They become attached to things. They go around searching for desirable things, and then they don't get them. And so a lot of the unhappiness and dissatisfaction of youth is from basically unrequited love, except that we wind up loving all kinds of things that we don't get. Yeah. <clears throat> and so now the meditator sits down in meditation, and that old habit of wanting things comes back up that in fact much of the restless mind uh, the energy behind that restless mind is the feeling of I like it I want it or I don't like it I got to get rid of it 
And that whichever it is that I like or that I don't like may not even be present right here in the present moment. That there's nothing happening in this present moment, that those things are past and future oriented. And so I want something now that I can't have now. I can have it in the future, maybe. Maybe there's a 1% chance I can have it in the future. But right now, zero chance of having it. Yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, it's funny because I, I was actually talking to, I, I met um, two students um, that you gave, I, I, we called each other and it was really nice to talk to them. Um, uh, uh, one of us, we were talking about self and uh, how self, like, I, I really like how we, when we all begin, we practice wrongly by searching for a self. Not knowing that the self is created by these perceptions and feelings bounded together by these wrong views. There is no self, it's just wrong view. It's just views, assumptions, views, pain, pleasure, perception, mm -hmm. feel, all these things are like, they're really trying to tell you, I'm, I'm you, this is important, this is nice. But there's nothing nice about it. There's nothing nice about it. It's such a profound realization because it takes such a burden off practice. There, there's no burden to practice. Like, oh, like the Buddha invited you to the funnest thing ever. And there's like... <laughs> it's, exactly right. It's your own built-in amusement park. Yeah, it's, a, it's funny because I guess we don't realize the profundity of what he's, what he's inviting us to. And, and that's why we get lazy. We don't realize it. Like, oh my God, this is freedom from everything. <laughs> Freedom from everything. Exactly. Uh -huh. <laughs> Including uh, when, when we say, I couldn't be bothered to meditate, which is a kind of hindrance itself, is because they already have the delusion that it is a bother, that things are a bother. In fact, there, are, there are, is nothing that bothers one. The only bother there is, could possibly ever be is the mind bothering itself. Yep, yep. Not being satisfied with the way things are. The way things are just the way things are. And we don't like it. And that's a bother to us. We <laughs> yeah. bother ourselves like that. Okay, so this is the part then where not just in sitting practice, but throughout the day to really get to know these hindrances, to really know them, to know that they come as a package deal. That in fact, the feeling of liking uh, never winds up in satisfaction. It always winds up in dissatisfaction, just like uh, not liking uh, does not wind up in satisfaction. When you kill it, you might get relieved, but you still hate it. Yeah, okay. you still hate it, exactly. They still you're hate still, it. Right, you might got rid of it, but now you're relieved that it's gone, but you're not, you're still clinging to it. You haven't given up yet completely um like an example of that would be an argument that uh between a father and a son that blew up into the fact that now they've hated each other they hate each other for years yeah yeah and and they still you know but they haven't seen each other for years and they <laughs> yeah. don't see each other but they still think of the other one with ill will yeah it's it's incredible that we can see it because it's like 
the assumption is that we like we can become like we can become oh in a state we can arrive like we can um create some type of permanent state of of like of like like this delusion that oh if i get this this is it this is like there is no it there is no it there's no it <laughs> like there is no play like that no you're 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 mentioning something like that and uh, using the word attainment. Think of the word attainment then is part of the package of hindrances okay. rather than a part of the Buddhist path. Okay. That we talk in Western meditation terms about attaining this and attaining that, attaining jhana, attaining uh, soda pine, and attaining arahat, and all of this kind of stuff, attaining enlightenment. And that's completely the wrong approach. That's like uh, the business world, that you attain a car, or you attain the kingship, or you attain something like that. Basically, what the real teachings of the Buddha is, is to figure out that these things that I wanted to attain are dangerous and therefore are not worth the effort. And so that we can come back then to this, to the, uh, to let us say it like this, to actually get something that we can have and that we delight in it. Yeah. And what is that? This present moment. We can delight in the in this present moment. We can delight in the Dhamma. The Dhamma is readily available. This uh, breath are readily available. And in the in the case of what we're talking about, getting the mind down to where it's not thinking much. Okay that uh, we can actually say it like this, going back to the concept of the idol. You know the difference between a really fast idol and a really, really slow idol. That is an example of that. Back in the day, um, one of the qualities of uh, motorcycles is always speed. How fast is it, you know? But one of the qualities that BMW was looking on was the precision of the workmanship so that they could, um, uh, let us say, work with this by how slow the idle could be on a motor. Okay. How slow can they get the idle? Normally, the idle is at about 600 RPM. Can you get it down to... 60 RPM, 60 RPM is like one cylinder firing every, only every second, fire, fire, fire. That's really difficult to get a, 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 a motorcycle engine down to idle at that, at that speed without losing it. You get it to really, really slow down. Okay, so that's a way of thinking about it for our own mind. That yes, this restless mind is like at a high speed idle, and it's just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. Can you get it down to where you have only one thought every tenth of a second? Only down to about ten thoughts in a in a minute or in a full second. Down to only one thought in a second. 
down to maybe it takes three or four seconds for that thought. But things are just so slowed down and so easy that the mind actually comes to rest. And yet it's bright and shiny in the sense that that engine is well, well constructed. Um, all of the, uh, uh, for instance, the ingredients like the flywheel and the drive shaft are all well and properly balanced. So this is a way of thinking about it, of getting the mind to where it will actually slow down to where you can actually see the mind itself functioning and working because the thoughts that thoughts about how the mind is working, which is basically also having thoughts of Paticca Samuppada in its process. So that you can see the Salayatana, you can see these thoughts that arise, that impact us. We can see how those uh, thoughts that impact us lead to feeling. We can see then the feeling stirs us up into grasping and clinging and wanting something. And that gives more feedback then into keeping those thoughts going. In a way, you could say that the teaching of Paticca Samuppada is not a circle. It's an event that starts and it ends. That it starts with uh, uh, consciousness of either an old thought or the present moment getting mixed up with the past, being perceived, turning into an invitation or, or, an, or a new kind of consciousness, the salayatana, that which impacts us, that takes us from the impact into feeling. I like it, I don't like it, or I'm confused about whether I like it or not. And if I like it, then I want it, tanha. If I want it, it becomes upadana, actually grasping hold of it. And that grasping creates the grasper, the one who is doing the grasping. All right, and that creation of the grasper then is the bhava into jati. And the jati then means that we're being born or reborn into some woeful state. Woeful states like uh, wanting something you can't have. And so that wanting something that we can't have now is part of the that's where the cycle comes in, is that now this bad thought leads to the next one. Yeah. yeah. And so somewhere in there, <clears throat> we need to divert that, that path with being satisfied with what we have. Instead of wanting something that we don't have and thinking about getting it, we can say, wait a minute, I don't need that to be happy right now. I can just sit and relax. And so here we can go now, beginning to throw things out, like the things that we want. An example of that would be uh, the story of the Vipassana romance. Have you heard the story of the Vipassana romance? Yeah, I have, with the, where he thinks about the woman. Um, right. And then at the end of the, uh, the retreat, he goes to introduce himself to it because he's been thinking about it the whole 10 days of the retreat. And when he goes to find her, she's gone. She left early. Yeah, yeah. She didn't wait around to get meted by him. 
She didn't yeah. have those thoughts at all. Okay, so here's the thing then about that Vipassana romance is is that if he when he is thinking about her and wanting her, he thinks that the thoughts about her are delicious. I like it. I like it. I like it. Except that he is liking something he doesn't have and he's in a state of wanting it. This is not a very comfortable position to be in, having these plans of uh, introducing myself at the end of the retreat. Okay. Uh, that uh, it's a, a better way to practice is to recognize that feeling of liking. I see her, I like that. But I don't have to want her. <laughs> yeah. I like it, but I don't want it. That's, that is such an, a, a powerful thing. But if we like it and want it, now there's no end to it. Uh huh. Yeah. And so we have to have some wisdom at that point of liking, which basically Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about it, wisdom at the point of contact. When we see her, when, when our internal representation of, see, the, seeing her physically as a physical human being is not much. An example of that is all of the other women in the meditation group look at her without any desire for her at all. Perhaps some of the old men in the retreat center will look at her without any desire at all. Mm -hmm. Right? So the desirability from, of that girl is not in the girl. The desirability of the girl is in the mind of the beholder, just like all beauty. All beauty is in the mind of the beholder. We create that based upon our childhood uh, and the Buddha is talking about that the things that we want in childhood that we find delight in in childhood we get into that habit of wanting things when we get older and so we take mental delight in wanting and and the chase yeah it's it's weird because I mean, that's the thing. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to be like, you know, uh, saying and repeating it or what. But there really, it took me a while to see, like, that there really is no value in chasing down your mind. In the sense of chasing it by aversion and by, and by wanting and, and things like that. It really does cause suffering. Just stay alone. Right. And, see. and one of the sufferings that it causes is then the mind gets tired. The mind literally gets tired of all of this spinning and chasing. So this is the idea of how we can start to deal with that is by slowing it down. To continue to come back and using the anchors of, of the breath is a very, very strong anchor. So instead of being in a mind spinning, spinning, and occasionally think about the, uh, the anchor and coming back to it like this, the way to do it is to actually rest in the breathing. And then from that perspective of being in the breathing, now we're observing the thoughts as they arise and drift away. Rather than keeping one going after another after another, we see a thought arise and we just let that be. 
so that it doesn't keep that cycle going. And that one of the best ways to do that is the kind of verbiage or the, the kind of talking that we give to ourselves is the kind of talking uh, that is centered on this present moment. All right. And that we can do it um, with with very little talking. For instance, in in the body scan, we can scan uh, without thinking about uh, the itch. We can just experience the itch and then move on. Yeah. So that we get we really get to know the body, but that the body is okay right now, and we don't have to go into a great big conversation. But here's the other side of it, that we're, we're paying attention to the body, we're watching the breathing, and, the, and we notice the itch. And then we have the thought, maybe I should go get a mosquito coil. No, I can't have a mosquito coil because those make too much smoke and people don't like it. I should go get some lotion to put on. Exactly, yeah. Okay, now here in the mind is going, okay, up it goes. Instead of just noticing the sensation of the itch, from the mosquito bite. We go into the itch was caused by a mosquito. Those mosquitoes are terrible things. They've got malaria and whatnot, and let's make sure that we don't have them anymore. And then off we go again into that, that wandering mind, rather than just saying itch. Yeah, like it's like, like for example, like for me, like, um, because like when I talk about sensuality, I mean like that confusion of seeing that perception and feeling and then rooting it to my body. Like my body can, like my body is saying like, oh, my body, like body. And then that idea of, of, of the body being impacted by an idea, like this idea of, of what you think you, what you think, <laughs> like this idea of what you're thinking. Right. Uh-huh. Or a concept. Yes, yeah. we can talk about ideas or concepts, but you can also recognize that that concept or that idea is salayatana. The word yeah, that's in the Pali is salayatana, and what it means is an internal representation of that which came in as the senses. So yeah, it's yeah. translated wrongly as the six-fold sense base. Mm. Okay. And then everybody gets confused. No, it's not the six-fold sense base. It's the six-fold sense results. It's what we do with our six-fold sense base is that we create things. Yeah. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. We, we create something that doesn't exist. Yeah, like uh, uh, like an example. We want that. <laughs> yeah, like a, a example. Um, uh, two days ago, uh, I went I went out for a walk. Um, and I sometimes you know I've had this feeling uh, or, around other bodies. It's like this. Up, I decide to think for other people. You know, my my mind don't don't walk around the basketball court. You know, they're gonna look at you weird. They're gonna they're going to make fun of you. They're going to, you know, that um, opinionate, opinionated idea. So what I did was my, I saw, all, by the way, from the herding instinct, you know, go along to get along. We want to exactly. make sure that, that, that other people have a good opinion of us because if they don't, it might be dangerous. 
yeah, exactly. You're afraid that they're going to attack you or they're going to hurt you. And one thing I did was I was right in front of my walkway to get into my apartment. And I realized the fear. Like I saw my, like the mind created by the thoughts and the thinking and the feeling and everything. And then I went, hell no. And I went to the basketball court and I said, I'm just going to walk and relax and smile. And basically like, what is the fear? Come on, show me it. Like, I really want to know what it is. And if there's no evidence for it, okay, then it never existed. So it's like, like in that sense, like an action, like doing an action, like in, in meditation, uh, like, uh, uh, like in, in that spirit of, oh my God, okay, like it's, this is really fun. And like, I'm just going to go that way instead. Exactly. You know, that's very interesting about, um, that herding instinct like that. Everybody wants to go along to get along or uh, let us say that that's the common way of looking at it and that we don't want to upset others. And so each one of us goes around kind of in a false bubble of worrying that everyone else is going to judge me. All right. Or the, or this person. However, no one is actually out there judging other people. They're spending their time worrying about other people judging them. And so everybody is going around feeling like I've got to be careful because other people are judging me. But the actual time that we spend judging other people is remote. It's very small compared to the amount of time we spend trying to avoid other people judging us. Mm-hmm. And, and it was funny because I enjoyed the walk. I, I, I went to the, I, I it was so great. I even sat in front of my apartment and I, and I looked at the sky for such a long time that somebody came up to me and asked me if I'm okay. <laughs> and I was like, I'm fine. I'm enjoying this. Are you okay? <laughs> That's what I, it was so funny. I was so surprised that someone asked me that I, I noticed he walked past me and then I noticed when he said something, like, I didn't even notice that he walked past me. Like, it was just the weirdest thing. Like, oh, crap. Somebody is there. Like, it was kind of funny because I was kind of sh- like, oh, my God, that was kind of him. The ass at least. Well, now that you're recognizing that, we can see that that, too, is part of the restless mind of that that fitting in, which is much more of the quality that I see. Uh, as opposed to what the Buddha was talking about, is the young people going around, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that, uh, and uh, indulging from that feeling point, but rather this uh, uh, trying to avoid the danger of being judged by others. And that may, in fact, have has happened to humanity, that it may have been in the fact that in the time of the Buddha, that society hadn't become so ossified. And so that society basically, uh, they trained their children (coughs) with less education, less formality, so that the young were just free to uh, continue to play through their lives, but they wind up then wanting bigger and bigger and fancier and fancier toys to play with. And so that we can, we wound up being then the, the culture 
that was uh, um, at, at play in the time of the Buddha to where now what we find instead is, is that we go around avoiding pain. Yeah. As opposed to seeking pleasure. Okay, we, we got to avoid pain be, because we really don't ever get the pleasure that we have been lied to by our culture that if you do what you're told to do, you'll get the reward. Well, maybe that was what was happening in the time of the Buddha. The kids would do what they wanted to do and got the pleasure out of it. Now, the kids do what they want to do to get the pleasure of it, and they wind up getting scolded instead. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we wind up with a different mindset of everything is unpleasant and that we have to go around. So meditation for us is not necessarily just seeing the dangers in the things that we want. We now have to be able to see not just the dangers in the things that we want to avoid, but also to see the danger in wanting to avoid things. Yeah, at all. Yeah, so we go around trying to avoid things um, in, instead of um, a, a better word would use would be used to learn to restrain ourselves to stop going after things so much or to tr uh, to restrain ourselves from trying to avoid things and just leave things the way that they are. To just let it be. And that's hard for us to do because we've got that fast idle going. Okay, and so Panasati is to get us to begin to look at that. But over time, what we want to do is to slow that process down, to make some gaps between the thoughts, to start recognizing that on that outbreath, when you leave the outbreath, can you begin to let those thoughts go? That's funny that you say that because there, there's, the, there's this reality that when you breathe, you can see your thought forms dissolving as you breathe out. Like you can literally see them break apart. Like, exactly um, so, you can. Yeah, like they break literally apart. They start to glitch like... Mm -hmm. And so when we're breathing out and paying attention to that and paying attention to the, th the thoughts, uh, let us say, uh, dissolving may be the right kind of word, that they lose their weight, they lose their intensity, and they lose their focus. Now, what I mean by losing the focus is, is that instead of focusing on um, talking to that girl at the end of the retreat or whatever, focusing on what we like, because we can think about that. If we just think and spin and worry about that girl, that's taking up a whole lot of mental energy that we don't need to expend. That's yeah. why people get tired is because they, they work their mind without just simply relaxing and taking the load off. Yeah, yeah, it really is that. And so this is one of the ways to begin to deal with uh, at at a more advanced level where you are is to recognize uh, that a lot of the tiredness that we have is because we've been overworking the mind. 
and that we overwork it because we're in the habit of overworking it and we don't realize that that really things uh are not worth thinking about it really is not yeah that's exactly yes exactly that is literally it right there like i the that was the monk that i was telling you about i think i that that same day I watched another video because he keeps it. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. But the thing is, it just takes time to see. And, but I think also it has to be like, the quickest way is just to be really honest and really serious about your happiness. Mm-hmm. And well, it. I wouldn't like, call it serious. But I mean, like uh, the spirit of like, you know. How about wow. enthusiastic? There we go. That's what I mean. That's what. Yes, yes, yes. That's in fact part of the path is that we become enthusiastic about uh, the Dhamma, the practice of the Dhamma. And I notice a different. I I remember telling you, oh, this is serious. Looks like this. This is this is this is concentration. This is serious. Oh no, this is. (sighs) Yeah, like uh, uh, it's funny because you used to say, oh. Look at what you're doing when I used to say, uh, this is so beautiful. Everything is so beautiful. Now it's like, I'm free from beauty. I'm free from this. I'm free. <laughs> like, it's, it's like everything is, is like, um, instead of relishing in your perceptions, you're relishing in the freedom from them. Mm-hmm. You're relishing in your freedom from them. And that's like such a different pleasure. It's a different all around pleasure. Because it's way more, it's way more refined and way more like stable. It's way more stable. The Buddha calls it, or let us say, the the translation in the Sutta is the escape. Yeah. That we receive the the pleasure of the sensuality, but we don't see the danger. The example that I use commonly is the donut. The donut looks delicious, but we don't see the danger in it. And if we don't see the danger, then we don't see the escape. When you use the word freedom, that's the escape. We become free from that when we can see the danger and letting the mind just roll on. And one of the dangers of the mind just rolling on like that is it winds up getting tired. Yeah, you lose you lose perspective, you lose, you lose, you really start to, and you can even fall into hindrances all the way up to death in the sense of you start to go back to sensuality and like crashing, crash and burn, crash and fly, crash and fly, crash and fly. Same, the same thing. Uh, crashing and flying. Uh, crashing and flying, you're flying and then you crash and then you're, you're flying. The pilot that never graduates, it's like, he never actually graduates anything. He just keeps crashing it and then flying and crashing. Actually, that seems like the life that humans have is, is that we fly just a little and then we crash and then we fly and then we crash. And nobody allows themselves time to just sit on the ground. We don't have to fly. And if we fly, it's dangerous. We're liable to crash. Yeah, sometimes I play a joke on, on, on my friends where... Uh, uh, like I'm talking about the Dharma or something, and I tell them, you know, imagine if you could just land that plane, right? And then I'm, and then I, and then they're like, yeah, right. Oh my God, so true. And I'm like, just leave the plane, then just leave it. Just quit your pilot job too <laughs> while you're at it and everything else. 
So that way you don't have to deal with flying the plane ever again. <laughs> like that's that's the whole the whole thing. And they're like, oh wait, oh that's that's uh that's different. <laughs> like that's a different thing from from the yes. whole flying and crashing. All right. So to wrap this up, this um sloth and torpor or sleepiness and tiredness has to do with partially the quality of actual sleep that we get and that we can see that the actual sleep that we get if we're in the habit of having the mind that's constantly motoring idling uh, revving all day long then it's going to do that in the dream state at night. That in fact, there, the distinction between the dream state is is kind of remarkable in the sense that for, what we're talking about literally, when uh, the teacher tells Billy to pay attention and to not daydream, <laughs> right? He yeah. doesn't know that he's daydreaming. Really, he's not paying attention to it. The teacher does. He, she knows he's not paying attention. The same thing is true at night. Yeah. In the sense that we're dreaming, but we really don't know that we're dreaming. And that, all that dreaming is just a continuation of the habit that we had done on, all day long. So in that regard, the dreaming robs us of the ability to get the rest that we need when we're asleep. Yeah, deep sleep. Have a, have a deep, the mm -hmm. deep sleep is uh, way more restful than dreaming. Mm -hmm. And so by uh, learning to quiet the mind in, uh, in our uh, Dhamma practice will then help us to be mindful, uh, to keep the sleeping dreaming to kind of a, um, a minimum. We begin to pay attention to, I'm not going to dream so much. We go to sleep with the idea, this is really nice. If you go to sleep thinking the kind of thoughts that you have uh, been burning the mind with all day long, then as the body-mind complex goes to sleep, that thinking part of the mind just continues rolling on, burning up energy, keeping us tired, not making any resolutions or anything. But real sleep, really deep sleep, is going to be the kind that resolves the problems. That Einstein and many, many others uh, um, have talked about that they're working on a problem and working on a problem and working on a problem and getting nowhere and they've gotten themselves tired with it. And so they get away from it. They go to sleep. Everything sort of falls down and falls apart. But in the process, it begins to fall into place. And they wake up the next morning and they've got their solution. They've got their answer. We could actually do that with emails. Today's email, we open it, we read it, but we give it no thought. Oh, yeah, yeah. We don't, and we don't answer it. We just leave it. And then the next morning we wake up, now we can answer the email fresh. And any thoughts that we have had about that email all day long and all night long, we in intentionally push them out. No, I'm not going to think about that. 
This is not the time. I'm not in front of that computer. I'm not going to think about writing that email. And so we begin to monitor the kinds of thoughts that we allow ourselves to have during the day. And by uh, practicing Anapanasati, just as we're going to bed at night, then we're also putting the mind in the frame of tonight, I'm not going to allow myself to just think of or dream of anything. We're going to think or dream of how nice it is, how much rest I'm getting, how marvelous it is that I've got no place to go and nothing to do for the next eight or ten hours, and I can just lay here and enjoy life. And then that thought of that email that's got to be written comes up, and you can say, never mind. This is time for enjoyment. This is not time to let the mind start uh, spinning again. And so this will help then get uh, the, the actual rest that you need. And you maybe not need so many hours of it. Yeah. But a, a lot of times what happens, and this is kind of funny. This is, we've known about this for so long, that when somebody wakes up and annoys, or let us say that they're deeply asleep, and a noise happens. They will bring that noise. They will wake up only to the level of, of what they call REM or ra rapid eye movement or dream state. Mm. You can actually, we love it to watch the dogs. We can tell when they're having a dream. Many times they're not dreaming, but sometimes the dogs will have a dream. And you can see that they're they're walking and they're woofing. They're out on the chase or whatever like that. Just like us humans do. We want something in the night. And so we're thinking about it. And, and the mind is burning. And we're not getting good rest because of that. So when uh, it's possible then for us to be deeply asleep. And something happens, a noise. But instead of waking completely up. We wake on, only half up. Uh, to the point of it being a dream. And so we will take that noise and incorporate it into whatever dreams we were having. And uh, 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 continue with our dream and continue with our um, restless kind of sleep. Mm -hmm. So we can see that in fact that if and we're when we are asleep, if we're getting the proper rest that we need because the mind itself uh, is very slow, not spinning a lot, then we get a really restorative rest so that when we are awake, we don't feel tired. And yeah. if we don't uh, spend time during the day of having the restless mind just wrestle, 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 then we don't prone to get tired that generally um, when an example of that is uh, what we would think of as um, attention span. How long is your attention span? Normally the attention span is about 20 minutes, but that 20 minute time means that the attention is actually a lot of work. And when the mind is really working hard, it'll get tired after about 20 minutes. And so most meditators, when they start meditating, they stop at about 20 minutes. This is the normal uh, time frame for beginning students. 
because we know that during that 20 minute time, they're going to be working really hard when they shouldn't be. Yeah. If they could actually rest for 20 minutes, then they would be uh, not tired and capable of resting another 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and can you, can you, because I've heard that um, uh, as you practice um, the Dhamma and, and you practice the observational skills um, on that intuitive level that you can know that you're deep, that you're in a, in a in a good sleeping state, and you can know that you're dreaming, and mm -hmm. the arha is awakened always in every state, no matter what. Uh, I think the Buddha said that too. Yes, he never lacks ever. Uh, this is part of the Zen training uh, that is uh, closely associated with martial arts. That uh, if the army attacks at night and the defending army just remains asleep, they get slaughtered. Yeah. You got to wake up. You got to get up. There's a time to get up. Well, uh, because it's dangerous, okay? But, the, but within the concept of the Buddhist practice, that's what we want to do also. We don't want to half wake up and be kind of in a limbo state. We want to wake up fully, to be completely woken up. The example would be like boot camp where the DI comes in five minutes before 6 a.m. with his baton, and he is banging that thing around and says, all hands on deck. <laughs> Guess what? Every one of those guys, the sailors, they'll jump right out of that rack, and they'll stand at attention right beside their rack. Anybody who's still got his covers over like this and says, I'm going to sleep in right now, I'm, I'm not going to care about that DI. Guess what the DI is going to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's going to take off his blanket, take out the pillow. Yeah, exactly. He's going <laughs> to. And so uh, when we're in boot camp, we can recognize the danger of not waking up when it's time to wake up. Yeah. But in meditation, it's a little bit harder to do that. It's hard to recognize that, oh, it's dangerous to stay half asleep. Well, last night. Um, when I started to fall a little bit asleep or drowsy, I, I used death as a, as, as a waking up call, like, hey, you know, why are you going to waste it? You don't know when you're going to die. You could die right now. Mm -hmm. So, like, why, why waste your time being, being sleepy or drowsy or whatever, or, or waste your time in unmindfulness and, um, and things like that? Like, like why would you... Like you could die. Like that that feeling in and of itself is just enough <laughs> to, <laughs> to like, you know, stir you up again. <laughs> exactly. The thought of death is like uh, that hot rock. We touch that rock and we say, wow, that's dangerous. And we immediately withdraw our hand from it. All right. So this is what we want to do is we want to use that danger, the recognition as that of the danger which is actually just the first noble truth again. That's dukkha. Danger and dukkha um, uh, are inter tightly interrelated. When we can see the danger in something, then we're lucky. Because if we don't see the danger of it, the dukkha will actually happen. Yeah, yeah, we'll proliferate and go so, forth. Mm -hmm. go nuts. So the danger is to see it coming. And once we recognize that danger, we can wake up to that. So this is how we begin to wake up then to sloth and torpor 
um, or to sleepiness and drowsiness is to recognize the various things that cause that drowsiness and that one of them is the restless mind and the other one is not breathing well. If we start breathing well and when we're breathing, we start watching those thoughts to slow them down, to have them in the corral of only the wholesome, to have it in the corral of only the here now, only the Dhamma, and not allow our thoughts to go to emails or job or uh, knees in meditation rooms or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And just and just come back. Then uh, that the bright and shining mind is easier to um, maintain. To become bright, alert, notice what's going on as opposed to most meditation students um, remain in hindrances, sit for long periods of time in meditation, the mind gets dull, the mind gets tired, and then the student uh, confuses that with a deep state of meditation. <laughs> yeah, which it really, I mean, I, have, I, I, I get why, like I understand why, but it, it's just, it's funny because it's so close to your sense of identity. Mm -hmm. Like it's so rooted in this views of like, I like, and I dislike, and I restless anxiety and all that. That it, it's like, I think it's even like one of the last fetters to go, right? Um, yeah, that's, that's possibly true. Um, different strokes for different folks sometimes we have things really ground in but it has been said that uh, uh sloth and torpor uh or tiredness is the last one to go yeah because then you i i, I don't know if a buddha would ever sleep <laughs> if he could i don't know if he's even capable of it oh yes he did okay okay like, I thought he would rest his body, but not like he would never like just fall like he wouldn't fall into that state, that unwholesomeness. Well, he wouldn't fall into the unwholesome uh, state. Let us say that he could be aroused easily. Uh, OK. That yeah. he could be. And also that if the mind is in such a state to where it's at rest most of the time, then we don't need so much uh, mental sleep. And uh, reclining is um, very restful to, lay, to laying down. But so is sitting. But in fact, uh, there's a sutta about it. Uh, this is actually in the Sutta Napata, which is very, very old stuff. It's the oldest uh, of the original writings that existed. And in the Sutta Napata is the story about the guy who is going to town. He's walking. He's down the, going down the road. And then he has the thought, why am I in a hurry? Why do I have to run to town? Why don't I just walk gingerly? And as he's walking gingerly, he's passing by a, um, uh, a tree. And he says, 
why am I walking in the hot sun when I can stand in the shade of the tree? And so he moves into the shade of the tree and he's standing there and he looks at the tree and he says, why am I standing when I can go sit down? And so he goes and he sits down under the tree and while he's sitting under the tree, he notices the grass and he starts to have the idea, well, why am I even sitting up when I could lay down? Okay, you get the whole sequence of events. So this is basically the path of the beginning meditator. The mind is out there running. Yeah. Now we're going to let it slow down. Now we're going to let it stand and then we can let it sit and then we can just let it lay down. Because there's really no place to go and nothing to do anyway. Yeah, it's, it's all of our greed that keeps us going and doing. And it's our ill will that keeps uh, us going and doing. And it is, in fact, our confusion also that keeps us going and doing. Yeah, Confusion keeps us afraid. Ill will keeps us angry. And uh, uh, <clears throat> liking things keeps us greedy and active and wanting things. And, and all we have to do is relax. It, you know, that's the funny thing. It really is. Uh, like, uh, this is leading to the monastery for sure. <laughs> like, there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> like, Well, you can sit and relax right where you are. You don't have to. Now you're thinking of the future again. Off you go. Spinning the mind. Oh, I can't. I can't do it here. I gotta go to the monastery. Oh, let me plan. Oh, I gotta have a visa and I gotta have a ticket and I gotta blah 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 blah. <laughs> no, you don't. We're talking about something you can do right now. Just sit down and. <sighs> I meant it as a joke because, like, there's nowhere <laughs> else where you like. It would be really hard to, um, not hard, but it would be quite the maybe. Let's just say it's not it's not a problem, but, you know, why not get get it out of the way? Like in a sense where you don't have to live in the world and you really kind of don't need it. And that's kind of nice that you can do. Exactly. We don't need the culture. But I wouldn't say you have to leave it because I really think that you can live in the world and still be, uh, you know, very, very mindful and things like that. Well, we're talking about distance and mileage here rather than a mental state. And I'm going to work at a mental state that right where you are, uh, let us say that in the train, the big train station in downtown New York City, Central Station, you can find a toilet stall <laughs> and become secluded in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or you could be in Grand Central Station right there on the main floor with all of that traffic and be like the clock on the wall just be above it all yeah yeah and uh that seems like the the use like that's what's also and i think you called it natural living or natural living your life naturally and that's mm -hmm. a lot easier um like i'm not a oh okay my, you know i'm not afraid of li of doing things i'm not afraid of talking to people or or if I am then I can work on it and, and 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 uproot it and and not like I don't get there's no longer like this need to to go back to give up 
like there's no longer that giving up phase thing like i, I just which is nice that's the best part about it because if, if you don't give up then you're only getting better <laughs> right <laughs> like, exactly exactly all right well let's bring this talk to an end i think that we've gotten some information here about the hindrances and and getting the mind to where it's not tired because it's not spinning so much and that the mind and the body is oxygenated well so this is a practice that you can take into the bedroom at night that when you're going to sleep make sure that you're breathing well make sure that you're cleaning the mind out and getting it fit for sleep as opposed to laying in bed and thinking about that email I got to write tomorrow or all the work I've got to do and all of that kind of stuff because that's just going to set the mind in the habit of being restless and worried while the body is asleep. Better to get prepared by saying, oh, this is so nice, no place to go, got no worries for the next eight hours. I really like this. My, how nice life is got it made now nothing to do and so this is the way to go to sleep and this will help the tiredness i'm really excited to try it out all righty well we'll see you later thank you Bye 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 bye